Ever waddle to the bathroom after sex, towel between your legs, desperately trying to keep the freshly delivered load from dripping down your leg and onto your hardwood? Well, worry no more. Awkward Essentials introduces the drip stick, or as I like to call it, the cum sponge. This medical-grade sponge sucks up jizz before it sneaks onto your sheets. Visit awkwardessentials.com today and use my code, WYP, for a 10% discount. They offer numerous products for all types of fun fluids. Keep your shorts semen-free and use my code today. That's WYP and save 10%. Awkward Essentials, making bodily fluids less awkward. What's Your Position podcast may contain adult themes, sexual discussions, and strong language. We want everyone to be educated, but we are intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Live from Nana's backyard in Garden Grove, California, this is What's Your Position. On today's show is part two with Dr. Justin Lee Miller. My name's Wayne, by the way. I'm a nudist. Oh, yes, we noticed your penis earlier. Touche. And now your host, Ashley Weller. Welcome back, fellow humans, to part two with Dr. Justin Lay Miller. Yeah, I realized when I said it. It's okay. He's Canadian. Oh, yeah? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. yeah I don't want to know. So- <laughs> sorry, Justin. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. And it's Lay Miller, as yeah, in it's get laid. L-E-A-H. As in get laid. Yeah. Lay. Love that. <laughs> Not crazy. He doesn't forgive you. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna give him a big hug and then he'll. he'll I will. Me. I will tell you right now, Justin. Oh, you're, you're on a first name basis with this guy. He, he actually, <laughs> yes. So, doctor it didn't start doctor. out start out that way. He was a guest speaker in my second semester teaching human sexuality because Dave. Hi, Dave. Uh, Dave doesn't listen to my fucking podcast, <laughs> but uh, he came to the class. We assigned the book to hit to our uh, Dave and I both assigned the book to our classes. And Dave said, hey, we're going to bring Justin in um, via Zoom to talk to your class. And I was like, what? <laughs> Fangirl moment. <laughs> I... I lost myself a little bit. Dave's like, do you want to introduce someone? I was like, no, I, no, no, mm-hmm. I don't want, no, no, what, me? No. And now I, I'm the only one that introduces him because we're BFFs on Instagram. Um, and when he posts on Instagram, I always comment and he always comments back. And Aww. he had a giant decanter on New Year's Eve that I thought was shaped like Thor's hammer. And he was like, guess what this is? And I was like, Thor's hammer. And he was like, no, it's actually a massive dick. <laughs> But good guess. That's hysterical. <laughs> I should call my dick Milmore. 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 That's the, the, the Mil- hammer. Milmore. Yeah. It's like an it's R and an L. I like that the hammer has its own personality. I do too. That's yeah. really fun. I also like that it went to Captain America. Like it, yeah. it knew who needed it. it. Yeah. You know? That, that, that part America, made me cry though. Like that oh part when the hammer went to Captain Dude, America. Watching that? Tears. Tears. <laughs> Watching that in theaters, <gasps> the entire fucking theater erupted. That was a great. <laughs> I, I saw it on opening night, and it was insane. There's great footage of like opening night. Yeah, the whole crowd yeah. Was like, no! 
don't know. I oh actually, I would choose Doctor Strange's cape over mm. Thor's hammer. Interesting. Yeah, I like, I like, I like that cape. cape. It's yeah. a great cape. I'm not saying I would choose one over the other. I just think it's... I, I know I bawled am. my eyes out <laughs> when Iron Man died. I I, I, Spoiler I, alert. Oops. Apparently. Uh, this isn't a movie podcast, everybody. If you podcast, haven't seen it, but I'm serious. Come hey, on. <laughs> rumor on the street. Rumor on the street. What? 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 Robert RDJ. No. Robert Downey. Yeah. Could be making a cameo in a future Marvel movie. Wait, I thought he didn't like... I know. Wanted- but now they're... Diff- they're going into like quantum mania, and they're like, going. Oh into, my God. They're going into different. That's a little upsetting. Wow. I mean, he died. I mean, I'm yeah. Like, I mean, like, yeah, uh, but not in a, another uni- uh, or, universe. Yeah, universe. Yeah. But th- you talking shit on Hawking? I'm that not, was his whole theory. I'm not. True. I'm not. <laughs> or Hawkeye, which Ooh. are oh. by the way. Nice. Let's give out a uh, little shout out little to cheers. Jeremy Renner. Cheers. Um, yeah. He was recently cheers. injured in a very serious snowplow accident. He was helping out his neighbor. Helping his neighbor during a blizzard oh and God. got hit by a snowplow and is in critical fucking condition. Hawkeye. Yeah. He's awake. He's awake and sent a thumbs up photo the other day. Yeah. So he's awake, oh which God. is great. But here's to Hawkeye. Absolutely. Shit. Mm. I know. Anyways, uh, we digress. So <laughs> this episode this is um, a sex podcast, right? Wait, no, <laughs> we're talking about movie TMZ. <laughs> yeah, we digress I mean, as, we, down. as we usually do. Um, <laughs> was that quote, by the way, another quote from Wanderlust? Yeah, of course. It <laughs> yeah, <is. laughs> I love the the. Uh, yeah, we yeah we saw your penis yesterday. Oh, touche. Touche. Yeah, we saw your penis yesterday. I'm a nudist. <laughs> yeah, we saw your penis. On the second episode with Justin, we get into some really interesting shit. So we figure out the statistic of the day, uh, which I will give you at the end. Um, We talk about what happens when fantasy becomes reality. Because Justin Lay Miller is, Dr. Dr. Justin Lay Miller is an expert in fantasies of of people. And he wrote a fucking book about it. So (laughs) we talk about his book. I might fangirl a little bit on the episode. It's fine. <laughs> um, we talk about the types of fantasies that people have, the types of open relationship fantasies, multi-partner fantasies, uh, gender-bending fantasies, um, fantasies with cuckolding. We talk about all the different types of fantasies you can have that involve open relationships or consensual non-monogamy. And then we answer questions from the WY peeps, which is what we're calling them now. I love it. I've been like searching it. for a term and it just fell out of my mouth a minute ago. Phrasing. And now <laughs> it is what it is. W.Y. Peeps. Uh, I sent out a bunch of questions over like three months asking people, give me your questions about consensual non-monogamy. Um, knowing that I was going to film this episode with Justin, that I needed some arsenal. And I got like, 12 questions from the WI peeps. So thank you all for your contributions, your questions, your vulnerability. We appreciate them. Please, please. Uh, And we are going to get into the second episode right the motherfuck now. Please stay tuned.
Welcome back, fellow humans. We are here with Justin Lee Miller talking about consensual non-monogamy, the ins, the outs, the in-betweens, the ups, the downs, the jealousy, the fun, the sexuality, all of it. We're going to talk a little bit about boundaries and how to set them. So I wanted to touch upon um, why we need boundaries in uh, relationships that are, well, Technically, we need boundaries in all relationships, regardless of structure, regardless of how many people are involved in the relationship. Boundaries are just a set of values and beliefs that you have for yourself. And making sure that your boundaries are in place prior to getting into a relationship and knowing that your boundaries are flexible and that they can change over time is a really, really big deal. It's important to understand that just because you put a boundary in place does not mean that boundary is cemented, set in stone, and forever rebarred into the bridge structure of your life. These things can be modified and changed as you progress and grow, or as your relationship progresses and grows. But... I do feel like it's important to know, especially for people who have never, ever had any sort of contact with consensual non-monogamy before, what are, would you say, like the top five boundaries that people should probably think about sticking to for the beginning? Boundaries are so important. And you're right. They're important in any relationship. And I think if we first go back to monogamous relationships, a lot of people never define their boundaries there. Yeah. You know, they never define what constitutes cheating. So what would actually become a boundary violation? And if you never define that, it's very easy to accidentally violate somebody's boundaries. And then that leads right. to all kinds of problems. So you need boundaries in every relationship, in the workplace, personal relationships, etc. But in the case of consensual non-monogamy, the boundaries are going to look different depending on the specific structure that you choose, if this is a swinging relationship or polyamory or open relationships. So, you know, one size fits all rules are kind of hard to (laughs) apply. But I think a good way to think about it is that you want to create, if you're just starting out, what Jessica Fern, the author of the book, Polysecure, refers to as a relationship vessel. You know, it's the container for your relationship that's going to help you start exploring this world. So what are the boundaries that need to be defined? And so there are a few things to think about. One is, what is it that you're allowed to do with other people sexually? Some people place limits on this. You know, for Mm -hmm. example, it might be that sexual intercourse is off the table for anyone other than your primary partner, right? Mm -hmm. So are there limits or rules on specific sexual activities? Another would be, what are your boundaries when it comes to safer sexual practices? You know, how are you going to protect your sexual health and the health of your partner? So does that mean getting a regular STI testing schedule in place? Does that mean stocking up on condoms and maybe mm-hmm. starting on prep or whatever? It's it's sort of figuring out what do we need to do to make sure that we feel safe and secure with respect to our sexual health. And then another boundary is going to be how do we prioritize our current relationship so that we're not doing damage to it by neglecting it, you know, because if you're starting to explore sexually or romantically with other people, 
sometimes some neglect happens to that one relationship, or maybe one partner is neglecting it more than the other. So maybe it's that you have certain nights of the week that you're together every week, and then certain days where you're free to explore. So part of the boundary is figuring out what is the time you're spending together? What is the time you're spending apart? And further, when the time when you have that time you're spending together, are there limits on, you know, phone use and other things like that? Because and you how much you're partners. talking about yeah. the consensual non-monogamy. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, as you can see, when we start talking about this, like there's a lot of stuff to think through and that's why you don't want to rush in terms of opening it up is because sometimes you might not think of everything in advance that might become an issue that might be a boundary that you need to create. So if you start slow, you can be like, oh, we need a boundary for this so that we don't run into that problem again going forward. Yeah. And it's interesting. There, there is a lot of, um, there's a lot of, uh, uh, message boards and Instagram pages that people can follow that are for people who are swinging that are for polyamorous couples. Um, and many, many of them, um, all echo what you're saying, you know, make sure you keep your primary relationship on a pedestal, um, that you prioritize that relationship. Um, if you are having a primary relationship, if that's the type of consensual non-monogamy that you're going to have. Um, but also that there, there needs to be an understanding that you don't know how you're going to respond in any given situation. So if you put a boundary down of no mouth kissing, right? You can't do that because that's too intimate. And then you get into a situation where everyone's getting hot and heavy and somebody looks at someone else and says, can I do this? Is this okay? And that boundary changes. You need to have some conversation afterwards. Um, And you also need to do a debriefing. I've read a lot of people say that they really enjoy um, sitting down with their primary partner after a hookup or after a date or um, any along those lines and making sure that everything that took place was consensual on above board, uh, was something that doesn't need a boundary attached, something that something happened, you know, Oh, I, I didn't know you were going to give her anal sex. And I didn't realize that that was going to affect me like it did. And I'd like to put that on the table for, I'd like to pin that on the wall for a while. I don't think I want to see you do that. Um, so debriefing is another boundary I've heard a lot as well. Yeah, there do need to be some boundaries around communication. And what you described is sort of a model that you often see in polyamory, where there is this radical honesty around different partners, relationships, sexual activities. And sometimes partners will get to know their partner's partners. These are called your (laughs) metamorphs. And sometimes they have like really great relationships and they get along. And so you're sort of expanding your friendship circle by becoming friends with your partner's partner. And, (laughs) you know, but that model doesn't work for everybody, you know, in some sexually open relationships, they choose a much more limited model of communication where there's a don't ask, don't tell policy, because maybe they know they are prone to jealousy and they don't want to know what their partner is doing with specific other people maybe they don't want to know that specific other person, or maybe they don't want to know what transpired because that might trigger jealousy. And so, you know, if it works for you to do the don't ask, don't tell kind of thing, that's a different model, but Mm -hmm. you might not know how you're going to respond to this information until you start getting it. And so you just have to recognize the boundaries are going to be fluid, flexible. And as you get more experience, you'll figure out what you do need and what you don't need. 
You actually just segued again into my next section. You're so good at that. You're such a good segueer. Uh, jealousy. How do we deal with the jealousy factor? Like, there's going there. I I would estimate if if I was a betting woman and I am, and I was someone who loves statistics and I do, I would bet that. 97% of people who engage in consensual non-monogamy have had jealousy at some point. Like it's gotta be close to a hundred percent. Would you think? I don't know that it's that high. We know that jealousy what? can happen, what? right? What? So about a decade ago, I started studying consensual non-monogamy and some of my colleagues and I did what to my knowledge at that point was probably the largest survey of people in polyamorous relationships. Like we surveyed more than 3000 people and gave them this huge questionnaire, asked them about anything and everything you can think of, including jealousy. And we gave people all the standard measures for these things in the psychological literature. But then we asked all these open-ended questions in case there was something we were missing. So after uh -huh. they completed the jealousy section, we would say, is there anything else you would like to tell us about jealousy in your relationships or maybe your experiences, how you... Wow deal with this particular emotion. Yeah. And we had several participants who wrote in, I don't know what jealousy is. That's not an emotion that I experience, which I found to be really fascinating. fascinating. Right? Some people just don't seem to experience that. They're, and for these individuals, they often experience what some of them call the opposite of jealousy. I don't like to call it the opposite. Compersion? Yes. Compersion and jealousy, I think they're two different things and you can experience both at the same time. Like you can be jealous, but you can also be happy and take pleasure in your partner's pleasure. So for but, my for my listeners, because they probably don't know what it is, compersion is the uh, the thought process that you derive pleasure from watching your partner receive pleasure from someone else. It's not for, like it's not that you're giving your partner a blowjob and you're like, "Yay, I'm giving my partner pleasure." You're actually deriving pleasure from witnessing them get pleasure from someone other than you. Compersion doesn't have to be sexually based, right? So oh. there could be a compersion element if you're watching your partner receive pleasure and that makes you happy and aroused, but it could also be just knowing your partner's needs are being met by this other person. If you okay. take pleasure in that or happiness in that, that could be another way compersion is experienced. We have a paper we recently published on compersion that, you know, shows that it has different meanings for different people. But, you know, with, with this idea of it. jealousy, I think it's a really important one because some people don't think of themselves as the jealous type and then they open up their relationship and then, oop, <laughs> I just <laughs> realized I am I jealous. Am. My right? bad. Because monogamy <laughs> for some people is a protective factor where they don't have to experience jealousy because you're much more confined in terms of what you can and can't do. Mm. But by opening up, you're going to be exposed to these different situations. And as you mentioned, we're terrible at predicting our future emotional states. This is called right. affective forecasting in social psychology. And we make a bunch of errors. We tend to think we're going to be much happier than we actually are in positive <laughs> events. And that negative things are going to be much worse than they actually are. So it's kind of right. like this extremity bias. But yeah, we're really shitty at predicting our future yeah. emotional states. <laughs> Yeah. And when you get into these new situations that you don't have any experience with, sometimes it's hard to figure out how you're going to react. How do you explain and help people with what some individuals call NRE? 
or new relationship <laughs> energy. Because man, new relationship energy for so many people is kind of like a drug. It is. So new relationship energy is sort of the passion that you experience when you begin a new relationship with another person in a polyamorous structure. And we know what passion is. Most of us have probably had the experience of being in a relationship and early on you have these obsessive thoughts about the other person. You can't stop thinking about them. All you want to do is be with them and get it mm-hmm. on and you know, yeah. talk to them, see them, text them yeah, all the time. Yeah. They're the focus of your attention. And so this new relationship energy is actually a thing that sometimes triggers or provokes jealousy in these consensually non-monogamous relationships because it can be hard to give everybody equal attention when you got one partner you can't stop thinking about, right? Yeah. So you can Especially because how- you know everything about your primary partner. So it's not like you're obsessed with your primary partner anymore, especially if it's been years or decades that you've been with them. And now there's this new person with all these new ideas and this new fantasies and these new body parts. And now you're obsessed with this new person and your primary partner's going, um, what about me? Still here? Excuse me? <laughs> Hello? How would you help a person, not just the one who's experiencing the jealousy, but the person who is experiencing that new relationship energy circle back to their primary partner? Yeah. And again, this can be where the boundaries come in handy Mm. because you're going to have these moments of that new relationship energy and you still need to make sure that you're giving adequate attention to each of your partners. So Mm -hmm. part of it is starting with the boundaries. Another part is to give your partner some grace when they do start a new relationship and understand that, you know, new relationship energy is going to come in and out over the course of time of being polyamorous, but it's temporary. It's fleeting, Right. right? Passion is usually measured in weeks or months or maybe a couple of years at most, right? So they will come down from the clouds at some point, (laughs) but it is incumbent upon your partner when they're experiencing this new relationship energy to make sure that you don't get lost in the midst of all of this. And so maybe that's having dedicated days and times where you're spending that quality time together. Maybe it's doing more check-ins to say, how are you feeling right now and what do you need so that they can make adjustments to make sure that your needs are being met in that case. So maybe that's just having some more time alone or, you know, or readjusting answers. the structure. You know, if, yeah. if you find that you get into a consensually non-monogamous uh, relationship and all of a sudden you're noticing, I can't get past this. I, I can't get past this jealousy. I can't move beyond, you know, thinking that you're talking about them, talking to them all the time, who you're talking to, who you're with. You may need to examine within yourself maybe a little more about insecurities or attachment styles. And you may need to do some work on yourself and maybe put the consensual non-monogamy on hold until you can get to a place where um, you're structurally sound enough uh, to be willing to move forward in that type of relationship. It may, it may just be that you're not at a place that you're, you're there yet. Yep. And that's the thing. You can always readjust the boundaries. You can create a new vessel, a new relationship container for this period of time till we get through this particular issue and then open up again. You know, these relationships in the world of consensual non-monogamy are not linear, right? They can kind of go off in a lot of different directions. And 
sometimes people will go through periods where they're open and then when they're closed and then they open back up again and maybe they started out as swingers or in an open relationship but became polyamorous and then maybe they go back to being monogamous at some point like it it can go off in any number of directions Mm -hmm. and that was one of the interesting things about studying consensual non-monogamy during the pandemic is that we saw that some people actually closed their relationships during that period in time because they wanted to prioritize the health of the partners and so they decided to just go back to monogamy or to not bring on new partners. And then there were also some who, for the first time ever, opened up their relationship during the pandemic because that situation prompted them to have conversations that they'd never had about sex and relationships before. So it's a different journey for everyone. Did you know, do you know how, okay, during the pandemic, um, uh, what's the thing? Tinder, I almost called it Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Tinder, same, same, but different. Same, same, different. Tinder saw like a 400% increase in people looking for threesomes during the pandemic. Did you know this? <laughs> yeah, and there are now 400% more people who hate Tinder. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's a horrible. It's, I feel like that's a bad place to go to find a threesome. <laughs> like, that's not I what mean, Tinder's for. I, I don't mean to, you know, um, Put down Tinder. Uh, it I works do. very well for some people, but you know, I more often than not, people have a relationship with Tinder that they don't like mm. because the mm. world of online dating is just it can be so toxic. And Justin, you know, if you're looking, <laughs> I'm going to write a paper on how toxic online dating is. I'm seriously considering doing research on how much anxiety surrounds individuals who participate in online dating because I think it's I think it's awful. Yeah. And it's, you know, as a social psychologist, there's so many things going on there. One (sighs) is, I think we often go into these online environments expecting the same things that we expect with in-person interactions that people (laughs) are going to treat us a certain way. But no, like in an online environment, everyone's less invested because they don't know you and you're competing for their attention with a bunch of other people. And so it is very easy to get hurt feelings and you're all going to get ghosted. And, you know, that's part of it. But then there's also the really toxic behavior on top of it and the unsolicited dick pics and harassment and other things. Like it's also the swiping immediate, the instant, like you're hideous. Like I don't even need to get to know you. I don't even need to hear your voice. I don't even need to have chemistry with you. One picture and I'm done with you. Like that's cruel. That is awful. In my opinion, I just awful. Awful There's a lot of, a lot of judgment that happens mm. and a, a lot of insults and a lot of other bad things. So there oh. needs to be a better way of doing this. I don't know I what agree. a better way of doing Me it either. is, but we got to figure it out. <laughs> Let's figure it out and start a business. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a minute. I'm going to get into some anonymous questions. Uh, I've asked a couple, um, but I'm going to ask some more specific ones because these ones are a little more um, tailored to apparently people's actual needs. I'm removing gender out of it. I've rewritten these questions so that it isn't like someone hears it and goes, Oh, I think my girlfriend wrote that question. So I'm I'm going to do my best to make these as anonymous and genderless as possible. Um, what do I do if feelings develop during swinging? So 
<laughs> in any type of open relationship. You might have rules in place about like, this is just sex, no emotional attachment, but this goes back to us being poor judges of what is actually going to happen in a situation and sometimes feelings to develop. So that's a question of how do you want to deal with this? And maybe in some cases that is changing the relationship structure or the boundaries so that you can explore that connection with another person. In other cases, though, your partner might not be on board with that. So it might be pulling back Mm -hmm. and saying, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe we can't continue that particular swinging relationship because it's getting too dangerous for the primary relationship. So it all goes back to you need to have that boundary discussion and figure out what is the best way to move forward. And unfortunately, it's, you know, when you start developing those feelings for someone, it's very hard to let them go. I know. Yeah. That new relationship energy, man. What's better uh, for, oh, sorry. What's better, dating apps or swingers clubs? I hear the clubs are full of cougars. (laughs) (laughs) So this is one of those things, again, different strokes for different folks. You know, when it comes to online dating, some people are very successful at it in terms of arranging threesomes or exploring consensual non-monogamy. Part of it depends on what are the apps that you're using. So if you want to explore consensual non-monogamy, maybe you steer away from the big name apps that everybody immediately thinks of, like Tinder, and maybe you go to more of a niche app like Field, which is designed specifically for people in consensually non-monogamous relationships or who want to explore threesomes, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, some dating apps might be better than others for this particular purpose. Have you heard of Adult Friend Finder? Yes. I mean, there are lots of these (laughs) different places. I can't give like reviews on all of them because I don't have (laughs) as much experience with with all these different apps. But um, yeah, when it comes to the swingers clubs, that works for some people, but not others. It kind of depends on what you're interested in, what you really want to get out of swinging, you know? Mm -hmm. Sometimes going to these big club environments, if you're into more of a group sex thing where there's going to be maybe more exhibitionism and voyeurism happening and so forth, Mm -hmm. that might be right for you, but not everyone's comfortable in those environments. There are also rules at swingers clubs and parties, like oftentimes they'll permit single women, but not single men. And so, you know, that's a different set of considerations. You don't want people standing in the corner just (laughs) jacking off. Because that's creepy. Uh, Some people want that, but yes. Some people may want it, but some people don't want that. Uh, What would you say about therapy before starting consensual non-monogamy? Is it necessary? Is it um, a good idea? How do you feel about therapy? (laughs) Therapy in advance. Um, (laughs) I mean... (laughs) To my knowledge, you know, most people who start exploring consensual non-monogamy don't get therapy first. So I wouldn't say that that's like a requirement or prerequisite to going down that path. But for some people, it might be a good idea. Mm-hmm. In particular, if you're having some issues in that primary relationship to begin with, or you have some unresolved trauma or mm-hmm. attachment-related issues maybe talking to a therapist first to get to your healthiest self might be a good way to go just so that you might be more resilient in the face of challenges that you might encounter. So I think that's kind of an individual choice. Okay. Uh, I have two questions and I'm going to kind of merge them together because I sort of feel like they 
should be merged. So I apologize to the two listeners that I merged their questions. What are some red flags to watch out for when opening a relationship? And what if your significant other wants you to engage in situations you're not comfortable with? Okay. So first, don't do anything that you don't want to do, right? Have this discussion with your partner And it goes back to what we discussed earlier. If you're not on the same page about something, you need to step back and communicate. And sometimes there will be intractable differences and you just have to draw a hard boundary there and say, no, I'm not going to do that because I'm not comfortable with it. And if your partner is still pushing you, that's problematic, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's starting to get into sexual coercion and that's a whole other issue, right? So everything here has to be mutually agreeable and consensual. Don't do anything you don't want to do. And if, you, if you're feeling pressured or anything like that, it's, it's time for a sexual check-in to mm-hmm. talk about that. In terms of red flags, like that coercion element would be one of them. Like <laughs> if you're feeling pressure, <laughs> yes. If you're feeling pressure from your partner to do things you don't want to do, that is not a good sign. And where the cases I'm most likely to see consensual non-monogamy go wrong is when one partner isn't fully on board with it and they're doing it just because they don't want to lose their partner. So when you're approaching it from this state of reluctance, that's where things often go wrong. So you have to be fully invested and on board with this idea most of the time in order for it to work. So those would definitely be a couple of big ones to yeah. watch out for. Um Another would be if in the early phases of this, you're like repeatedly having boundary violations occurring, Mm -hmm. like you've discussed the rules and the rules aren't working, that's a time to step back and say, look, we need to figure out a better way to do this. And maybe that's rewriting the rules, redrawing the boundaries, creating a new vessel, or maybe it's just, no, this doesn't work for us because we're creating rules that we can't stick to and abide by. So that's an important thing to look out for as well. Okay. Okay. This person said, I'm really interested in this, but one thing is stopping me. What if I hate it and my partner loves it? (laughs) We live in a small town and I'm super excited to try something new, but I'm so scared one of us is going to get more out of it than the other. Yeah, you know, this does happen sometimes is that you'll both be open to trying it. And then one partner is like, nope, I'm out. Like, (laughs) (laughs) and you know, it's interesting. If you look at research on swinging, when men and women who are a married couple start swinging, what you'll often find is that it was initially the men who really wanted to try this. And then once they actually started doing it, it was the men who wanted to stop. (laughs) 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 And I find that to be so interesting, right? Because you have that dynamic, that role reversal. And part of it is because there might be a lot more options for women in that world of swinging, Mm -hmm. right? There's no, Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) if you're in that world, there's no shortage of male partners to find, right? Right. Um, And you can also have female partners, right? A lot of female swingers are bisexual or pansexual. Or heteroflexible, which is a fun new term that I learned. (laughs) Yeah. And so, that can and does happen sometimes. And if it does, I, I think this is where having the advanced communication of, all right, what are we going to do if this doesn't work out? So yeah. what is our exit strategy? What is our safe word for saying we need to rein this in? 
For some people, the answer is to go back to being monogamous, and they can do that, but sometimes once you've opened that door, it can be really hard to go back. And sometimes that means the end of that relationship because the partners just want very different things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are some people in the world of sex and relationship therapy who think that, you know, the job of a therapist is to save the relationship at all costs, but sometimes people just have these intractable differences and want different things. And the best and healthiest thing for everyone involved is to break up because they just have different value sets. So, Mm -hmm. you know, unfortunately that is an outcome sometimes, but, you know, I, I think more often than not, you can kind of fix the issue by recreating or redrawing the boundaries, or you temporarily close the relationship with the idea that, Maybe we'll open it again at some point later once we've figured out a better way to navigate it that makes everybody comfortable. I'm going to ask these next two questions together because they're kind of the same. Um, I couldn't degenderize them, unfortunately. What if we disagree on the people we want to bring into the bedroom? My wife likes super tall, tattooed guys, and I don't know how I feel about her fucking someone that's so opposite (laughs) of me. (laughs) And then this other person said, my husband wants us to have threesomes with women and I think women are hot, but when I meet them in person, I typically hate them. What do I do? Yeah. So when it comes to threesomes where a couple is bringing a third person in, you'll often run into this issue of we have different tastes in sexual partners or different things turn us on. And I think that's a big part of the reason why When I do my research on sexual fantasies, I find that having a threesome is the single most popular fantasy, but it's the fantasy that's least likely to turn out well when people actually do it. And (laughs) part of it is because sometimes people just don't agree on what they want for the third person. And so then one partner feels like they sacrificed or compromised and they just didn't get what they wanted out of it. And compromise, I was reading also in uh, my research that compromise is not something, I don't know how to, how to say it correctly, but you don't want to make sacrifices in CNM. It should never be about one partner saying, fine, I'll do this. It should always be about dual consent, right? Both partners are enthusiastic, I would imagine. So, you know, I hear this a lot, but my take on it is that some sacrifice, some compromise is fine as long as it goes both ways. And so sometimes you might agree to do something that you don't really want to do, but you know it'll make your partner happy and you know they're going to give you the same thing back in return later. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to having a threesome, maybe it's that you alternate or take turns in terms of who picks the third person. So some of the time it's not going to be your ideal but half of the time it will be, right? (laughs) You know, if you can think about it from that perspective, like I'm doing this to make my partner happy, but then they're going to do the same thing for me in return, that can be a healthy way to navigate a relationship because everybody is still getting what they want. Yeah. So, you know, that's one of the ways you can try to navigate this, but it can be hard if you're just like totally into different people or you have different gender preferences for that third person. It's, I don't really see another way to do it other than to have some sacrifice or compromise. The last question was so sad. It was actually asked today and I was like, damn it. (laughs) And then I looked it up and I couldn't find the answer. And so I'm not sure if you're going to have the answer either, but you are way smarter than me. So it's possible. Uh, Do you know how many CNM relationships end in divorce? 
It's a tricky question to answer because not all CNM relationships are involve marriage. Mm-hmm. Right? I know. When I read the question, I was like, again, I would have reworded this question to include more people, but okay. <laughs> we'll go yeah, with yeah, that. There is a review paper. Um, Anthony Bogart is one of the authors on it. I thought you were going to say Anthony Bourdain, and I was going to be like, he did what? (laughs) It's a 2015 (laughs) review paper, I believe, in the Journal of Sex Research, and they were looking at different indices of relationship functioning and monogamous and consensually non-monogamous relationships. And I remember they did look at um, breakup rates across these relationship structures. And I believe what they found was that there was really no difference in like the breakup rate when you were comparing these two groups of people, but people who are in consensually non-monogamous relationships have a lot more breakups over the course of their lifetime, but that's because they necessarily have more relationships relationships. to begin with. (laughs) So, you know, in terms of like average relationship duration and so forth, they actually seem to be pretty similar across monogamous and consensually non-monogamous relationships, but you know, the non-monogamous people have more of them. Yeah. So I'm going to give you my statistic of the day so that you can be relieved of the question that's been looming in your mind this entire time. I know you've been dying for the answer. Um, So I asked at the beginning, um, how many people marry their high school sweetheart and stay together forever? The answer is 1%. I was close. (laughs) You were. You were so close. You said two to three, which is just, that's the optimist in you, Justin. That's why I love you. Just the optimism (laughs) is so great. Um, You're so great. And I truly, (laughs) truly am just honored that you are here and on my show. Um, And uh, just super grateful for you for enlightening my audience and my listeners who have been um, starving for a consensual non-monogamy episode. So I hope they got their fill. Um, Is there anything that you would like to add or plug before we go? Yes. And first, let me say, oh my God, I am so glad I am not with my high school sweetheart. That would not have ended well. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, How can you know at that point in time? You know nothing about yourself. No, no. But for folks who want to learn more about me and my work, my website is Sex and Psychology at sexandpsychology.com. You can check out my blog and podcast there. The Sex and Psychology podcast is available anywhere you can listen to podcasts. You can also find my book, Tell Me What You Want, in my textbook, The Psychology of Human Sexuality, on Amazon and pretty oh much God. anywhere else I have you both. buy books. This one, see that? That's beautiful. And then hold on. And it has little tabs. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see. Let's read a little tab here. What did I tab? What did I tab of Justin's? The summary of the major psychological theories in the study of human sexuality. Ooh, psychoanalytic theory, classical conditioning. In fact, in a study in which people were asked why they have sex, participants reported 237 distinct reasons for getting it on. (laughs) <laughs> there are at least 
237. And one of them might be that you want to get it on with multiple people. And if you do, make sure you are doing so safely. Make sure you are doing so with open communication and honesty with your primary partner. Make sure you are setting boundaries that work for both of you. Make sure that you understand your boundaries are going to be fluid because we are humans and we are really, really, really bad (laughs) at judging how we're going to feel about future situations. And make sure you're doing so for the right reasons. It's kind of like having a baby. You don't get into consensual non-monogamy to fix a relationship. That's not going to fix the relationship. You want to make sure you are getting into consensual non-monogamy because it's something that both of you truly desire. Um, It's something both of you really want. And both of you are at a place mentally and physically that you feel you can take on that new and open relationship. Agreed. Yay. Thank you so much, Justin. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Everyone check out Sex and Psychology. It's an amazing podcast. I'm on it. I'm on it. I'm about to on it three times. So come and check out my episodes, if nothing else, and then check out all the other episodes. You just did a really great one um, the other day about uh, what did you just post? You posted something that I was obsessed with. Why well, did the non-genital orgasms? Yes. Yes. Oh my God! All the erogenous zones and the how to have an orgasm through non-genital stimulation. Sneak peek, what's the best way? What's the best erogenous? What's the best area that's non-genital related? There isn't one best because it you know kind of varies across persons, but it can be the nipple for some people because nipple stimulation activates the same regions of the brain as stimulation of the genitals. And then and, also for some people, it's the ear. For other people, it's you know, it can be anywhere on the body. A lot of individuals who have spinal cord injuries fi- find that they're um, – their sexual nerve endings have been rerouted to other areas of their bodies, correct? Yes, there are other places in the body that can become erotically sensitive if you have a spinal cord injury. That's fantastic. You're fantastic. Thank you so much. And thank you everyone for tuning into this episode. Let me know if you have any questions. I will direct them at Justin and he will answer them and let me know. (laughs) I appreciate you. Everybody stay safe, stay kind, and stay sexy. Welcome back, fellow humans. I was just thinking, this song would have been so perfect on the Agency episode, the first episode we did in season three with Christina from Agency about sugar babies. <laughs> or a little peek behind the curtain when we do our sugar. Ooh, a little veil behind the curtain. We are going to be putting out a episode about sugaring, uh, the process with oh, which... I love cane sugar. No. <laughs> Raw sugar, the little brown packets. Oh, love yeah. That. yeah. No, it's great. great. No, it's perfect. Awesome. Great That's what you're talking about, right? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Mm, no, yeah. Like, no. We're talking about <laughs> ripping the hair from the vagina Woo! with sugar. <laughs> and sometimes the butt. And, oh, well, if you're going to do a butt. butt. Well, always sometimes, the butt. Well, so sometimes, you know, you can do the sugaring of just your, uh, Why? the outside. Why I, would you not do the butt? I don't know. I've always gotten the butt. I'm going to ask her. Actually, that's a question I'm going to ask. Do people ever come in and not do the butt? Yeah, they just get the lot, like a, why am I not, like, I don't like fucking, they just do a bikini the, wax. Thank you. 
yeah, they just do the bikini okay. lines. Not like the whole <laughs> thing. I don't know why you would do that. Hair in the butt do. crack itches. It's really fucking annoying. It's awful. And I don't think it's talked about enough. <laughs> I don't think that it's talked then about enough. Then let me be the one to say <laughs> hair in the butt crack needs to go. It's yes. annoying. It itches. It's fucking unattractive. And I feel like even if you don't do a bikini wax, Brazilian wax, or any kind of wax, you should get rid of the hair in your butt crack. And I shaved it for a long time, and that was the worst idea ever. Because um, it, it's even itchier when it grows back. Do you... The amount of times I've cut... No. I... No. I've cut... <laughs> no. No. I've cut my labia. I've cut... Ow! I, yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even have one of those, and yeah. that sucks. Yeah, no. Oh. Ow. No. Oh I've God. cut my labia. Yeah, it's like... No. Okay. I, I have yep. the equivalent. Yeah. Yep. No. <sighs> no. I don't think you do. Oh, no, God. I do. It's uh. the ball sack. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I trim that ball sack sometimes. Yeah, you do. I don't need any more Husband like Kevin that. Kevin Weller is getting ready for Columbia right now, and he was like, I'm going to do a total shave today. And I was like, you be careful. Whoa. Make sure you use a new fucking razor. Mm-hmm. I told me He does like a Bic? He Bics it? Bics it. Oh, dude, no. Don't look, like, don't look like a Ken doll. Oh, he Bics it. Oh, no. A beautiful, it's a beautiful shave. Dude, Mason beautiful. uses Sorry. my razor because... He uses mine too. <laughs> what is Fucker? that? I know. Because <laughs> ours are better. They yeah, have like four blades because yeah. you have to go to the labia. No, I, know. I think a penis <gasps> should have a little hair around it. Oh, he leaves Fun it a little facts. at the top. It's the balls and the, yeah. the, it's no. the balls that he gets rid of the hair. Okay, wait. But, but Ashley, I know Justin Miller, Lay Miller, was all about balls in this episode, obviously. obviously. This is why we're talking about right. it now. Yeah. But the hair there is is protection. It's to, to collect the like. It's to like I mean, your it's force field. Reason, it's like your force field, it, like right. It was kind of like how our wisdom teeth were used for our ancestors to be able to chew really dense meat. Right. We oh. don't need the pubic hair anymore because we have underwear. Oh really? You know what's the worst? Yeah. Some people go com- commando though. Some people do, but I you're don't... still wearing pants. I don't know if this has ever happened to anybody, but maybe it's happened to a listener. Going down on someone and there's a piece of toilet paper. Oh. That is like an instant. Where's oh. the wah wah? Sorry, I'm cringing too much. So I can't do it. Oh. Here Oh my god. I actually wasn't off. So anyways, we had a <laughs> no, doctor on really our good. show. Anyways, that was really good. Uh my my man crush, <laughs> Dr. Justin Lay Miller. Um, who, who gets this horn? <laughs> hey. Let me go ahead and just tell you my stat of the day. So I oh. asked at the B I know. Everyone's fucking relieved. You're welcome. <laughs> um Hey, what? What is it? Okay. In a therapeutic setting. How many people that were engaged in consensual non-monogamy indicated that their therapist lacked basic knowledge about consensual non-monogamy? The number was one in five. Robert Maine Airplane. That's Price is Right style, baby. That is Price is Right style. You actually, you actually said what I'm saying is one, but 0.69 is basically your number. So. I think it's less than one. Per, one. So one in five <laughs> people, which is like 20%, of the population of consensual non-monogamists who go to therapy, which is probably an even lower Wait. percent of people, say that their therapist knew nothing about consensual non-monogamy. And then the ones that went to therapy, one in 10, said their therapist told them to stop that behavior. 
which is crazy. Like, as a therapist, as a sex therapist, first of all, you need, as a marriage and family therapist, you need to be up to date on anything going on sexually in the verse that you live in, whether it be in Spain, whether it be in India, whether it be in the United States, whether it be in Great Britain, you should be up to date on what people are doing and engaging in. And consensual non-monogamy is something that has been happening for centuries. Um, Kings had uh, women court, they had courts and so did the queens. The queen had courts like consensual non-monogamy has been around for centuries. So staying up to date on how to navigate it and how to create boundaries and communication within a sexual relationship should already be in your repertoire as a marriage and family therapist. Knowing how to educate your clients on communication within their monogamous relationship or within the relationship that they have defined for themselves. You don't get to define their relationship or, or tell them what kind of relationship they should have. If it's something that both of them are consensually wanting to do, it is your job to research how they can do so healthy uh, and respectfully within their relationship. That's your job, not judging them. So that stat pissed me off. And um, Justin was surprised. I believe he said uh, three or two. I think it's going to get better. I do too. With you know, with this podcast, too. <laughs> yeah. It's all about education. All about education. Yeah. We also discussed jealousy in consensual non-monogamy, which is awesome because Another peek behind the curtain, because this topic was so prominent in the questions that were put forth by the WY peeps, I decided to invite a consensual non-monogamy jealousy expert. So, like, I Ooh. narrowed that umbrella down to a fucking pole, wow. right? Within the That's questions cool. I received from the WY peep fandom, there was a lot about jealousy and how to navigate that jealousy in the relationship, so I found a person whose specialty is jealousy in open relationships. And we have an episode coming up with her. Her name is Dr. Jolie Hamilton. Um, and we do an entire episode, me, husband Kevin Weller, and Dr. Hamilton do an episode all about how to navigate jealousy and compersion within consensually non-monogamous relationships, specifically within swinging and open relationships, as those are the two most common relationships under the CNM umbrella. So thank you again to Dr. Justin LeMiller for uh, providing us with his intellect and his brain and his expertise um, and for coming on my podcast, my, my teeny tiny podcast. He is like, you know, millions of followers and and he agreed to be here with us and i just hopefully not the last time i doubt it's the last time yeah. he's 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 gonna come back for sure. <laughs> he we love each other we're just bestest of friends now Aww. he's gonna listen to this and be like uh um, who are you <laughs> <laughs> sorry what, what was you your name again uh your professor excuse oh, me okay. teach things <laughs> to people what? uh thank you so much for tuning into this two-part episode we hope that you enjoyed both 
pieces. Uh, make sure that you check us out on Instagram at What's Your Position Podcast on TikTok. TikTok. At What's Your Position Podcast. Thank yes. you, Lil Turn. You're welcome. For making me a TikTok. Um, you're so welcome. <laughs> well, technically you had one. I'm just I just I had it. it. I just wasn't doing fucking shit. shit. Just, Ashley and I are just too old. Uh, I, I'm too busy. I have, you have so many much. things to do. I'm That's why busy. I'm here. Um, I'm just going to delegate. Uh, so thanks for letting me delegate the TikTok to you. You're welcome. Um, please make sure that you send us messages. There are so many people who send us messages on Google and Gmail, and we are going to do an episode where I just talk to those people. Um, make sure you call us if you would like to leave us a message. Uh, we are always available at 513-696-SEX. That is an actual number. 513-6969-SEX. You can leave us a voicemail. We will talk to you. Um, we want to make an episode where we play them live on the air. We don't have any, so I know. <laughs> we want to make it an episode, guys. So we want to We'd bank. Love to want to bank a few. Spank bank a few. But, <laughs> and then and then make it a regular occurrence. Yeah, yeah. I'd love. I'd love make to an episode, be able to answer questions live it'll, on it'll air. It'll be part yeah. of like yeah, coming out for awesome. break. You'll hear our voice right? It'll be great. Uh, and then you'll be live. Then you'll be like, hey, Mom, That's I was fun. on a podcast. Uh, thank you to all the individuals who have messaged me on Instagram um, and who participated in our 12 Days of Sexmas. We appreciate you uh, so much. Congratulations we to the winners. Yeah, we had a giveaway. We had that was rad. two giveaways. And Val won. You know Val, actually. She goes to Chapman, and she won the Jessica Drake Fleshlight. Oh, so, so a little insider trading. I see how it yeah, goes. Yeah, well, they were the only two people that commented on the fucking post. And then uh, my friend, uh, <laughs> reading is my refuge. I love you, Reed Rovers. We love you so much. And uh, a couple of my Reed Rovers entered into the um, the the uh, episodes, and they won things from Star Stuff Galleries, who we love very much. Star Stuff Galleries has made us a official bunch. sponsor. Official oh. sponsor. <laughs> Star Stuff Galleries. Check them out. They do a lot of really cool galaxy jewelry, space-themed art. Uh, StarStuffGalleries.com. Um, thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in to this two-part episode. Thank you, Dr. Justin Lane Miller. We love you so much. Check out his book, Tell Me What You Want, and his podcast, Sex and Psychology. Uh, we love you so much, all. Stay safe. Stay kind. Stay sexy. What's Your Position podcast represents the opinions of Ashley Weller and her guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice and is intended for education and entertainment purposes only. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of error. Stay safe, stay kind, and stay sexy.